you're going up and down these sand dunes and you know even if you're fresh and you have nothing it's you know it's really hard to run up a sand dune so we're kind of trekking but but hiking at a very hard intensity after 100 kilometers of racing and and this is it's incredible how often this happens Uh, we kind of lost touch with the leaders but somehow we caught them and here we are you know it's the final kilometers to the finish there's six teams together and everyone's basically just going full bore hey everyone and welcome to the adventure deficit show where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Hello, Adventure Deficit community. Today we're joined by ultra athlete and decorated adventure racer, Travis Macy. Travis uh, is gonna talk a little bit about an adventure um, that uh, he wrote about in his most recent book entitled The Ultra Mindset and uh, share some uh, life lessons with us today. Travis, great to have you on the show. How you doing? True, thanks man. It's uh, awesome to be here. Um, I, uh, I really enjoy listening to podcasts when I'm out training or you know driving out to training adventures that kind of stuff and uh, so it's it's an honor to be here with with you in the audience um, I've listened to a few of your shows man the, uh, the the searching for Noah's Ark adventure is just epic and um, awesome man you know, some, of the, some of the hunting stories are great so um, it's yeah it's really it's it's my kind of stuff and uh, you know the your your audience is um, is people like me so I'm just I'm, I'm tickled to uh, to be doing this awesome man well I appreciate you saying that and uh, we appreciate you, you uh, spending some time with us um, Travis, get us started off a little bit with uh, with kind of the early Travis Macy story. Um, I understand you grew up in the uh, the beautiful state of Colorado. I grew up uh, here in Evergreen. Um, it's a small town uh, uh, on the front range of the Colorado Rockies, and um, it's it's a great place. I mean, I'm looking outside right now, and it's a uh, bluebird day with sunny sky, and there's snow on the ground, and that's uh, that's about the best combo you can ask for uh, in, in my book. And um, I grew up, um, you know, with adventure and and uh, kind of this ultra endurance racing. It was, uh, it was it was just part of my story, you know, from uh, a young age. Uh, I, one of my first memories of kind of that realm of life is uh, I was five years old and. Um, my parents loaded us up in the car to, uh, drive up to Leadville. So a uh, great little mine in town, classic Colorado, uh, town at 10,200 feet. And, uh, my dad had signed up for the Leadville 100 trail run, the race across the sky. And, uh, this is the early days of ultra running, <laughs> you know, uh, not, not many people know about ultra running now. And, and back then, you know, al- almost nobody knew about it. So yeah, it's a small um, niche now. And it was, it was even smaller yet when your dad was doing it you know, dad, he was, he was excited to do it. He was motivated uh, for it. If, if you look at his uh, resume on paper, he, he probably wasn't exactly prepared to do it, but you know, to, to be honest, neither was anyone else who was out there. And it was a bunch of hard ass men and women who were, you know, excited to um, make themselves better by, uh, by pushing their limits, by, you know, doing something with, with an outcome that's not guaranteed. Uh, many of them were out there like dad, you know, setting an example, uh, for, for their family, their kids, you know, other people who were watching. And, um, that really stuck with me. It was just awesome. So we, we drove around all day following dad to these, uh, these checkpoints, you know, various places out in the woods. And, uh, I, re- I remember specifically, um, 
we got to the 50 mile aid station. So it's this little ghost town called Winfield. Um, Again, just way way out at the end of this little dirt road um, out in the mountains there. And, uh, and dad was doing great. You know, you got, you got 30, 30 hours to finish the Leadville 100. That's the, excuse me, that's the cutoff uh, back then. And it it still is now. Okay. Dad's way way ahead of the cutoff, you know, I don't know what it was. Let's say he's, he's at, you know, 10, 11 hours, something like that. So he's got, he's got plenty of time to make it back and it's a beautiful sunny day, you know, so he sits down and and we have a picnic together, me and my mom and my little sister, Caitlin, and my dad. Oh yeah, middle of the race. Yeah, you know, just out in out in this field, you know, beautiful wildflowers <laughs> around, and um, you know, it was it was great. That's Dad's, awesome. you know, feeling feeling a little tired, but you know, d- decent. And uh, you know, so so he get, he gets back going again. Everything's all positive, and as the listeners may guess, um, it, things quickly declined uh, from from there. You know, in a hundred mile race, fifty miles technically is is the halfway point, but you know, it's it's really not. I mean, you're you're halfway done with the work. Maybe when you get to 70 or 80 miles. And so anyway, uh, dad and, and his, uh, pacer, you know, you, you can have someone run with you to kind of help you out the, the second half of the race. They head back up and over, uh, hope pass. Um, that, that goes, uh, almost, uh, to almost 13,000 feet. I think it's 12, eight something. Um, you know, so way, way up high there, uh, storms blow in, things get nasty, things get miserable. Um, dad falls apart, you know, his legs, his nutrition, uh, it, 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 lo and behold, it gets dark, right? Cause it's nighttime. Dad's got a little, a little flashlight. Uh, you know, right now we have all this great technology. We got awesome shoes. We got these great hyd- hydration packs. We got great headlights, you know, that, that'll go for days, let alone just throughout one night. Sure. Dad had a little handheld flashlight from Seven Eleven, you know, that we bought on the way there. He's banging so, on the uh, back of it, trying to get the batteries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the flashlight goes out, uh, dad's, um, pacer cleave uh you know who's there to kind of be the eyes uh literally and figuratively um cleave's got a strong prescription and, and he only had his sunglasses so you know cleave's literally running through the dark with his sunglasses on and you know they're they're feeling their way through and uh it, you know th- things took a while i mean dad, dad ended up uh dehydrating he's he's dry heaving and vomiting on the trail all night long and uh you know basically it it, it took him um almost every available minute you know it, it, it took until uh like i think 9 56 the, the next morning so you know 29 hours 56 minutes um he, he finally came up the boulevard there uh with the rocky mountains you you can actually uh see mount albert in the background colorado's highest peak and uh you know he came up that that road um right at the cutoff as many finishers of leadville and, and really any ultra run uh back then and now do and and that's in a state where the body shouldn't be moving forward, but somehow it still is. And, um, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's through mental toughness. It's through willpower. It's through, uh, a sincere belief in oneself and a, and a belief in the purpose of, of doing something challenging. And I just remember seeing dad come up the boulevard there and, uh, my sister Caitlin and I went out and, and we ran with him the, the final 25 meters or so. Uh, they roll out this red carpet and uh, and he crossed the finish line and he made it. And um, dad was in dead last place. He, he was literally the last person to, to finish that year uh, before the cutoff. And, uh, you know, the fact that he was dead last, I, I didn't care. Um, you know, he, he had made it. And uh, and, and that meant uh, that meant everything to 
me. You know, as a young kid, um, dad never pushed me into any of these endurance sports or anything. You know, I was I was an avid soccer player uh, through middle school, and I, I also played basketball and baseball. And, and then as high school progressed, uh, running became my primary sport. Um, when, when college came around, um, I, I had planned on, you know, dad had been a, a triathlete when, when I was a little kid, and I, I grew up, you know, watching guys like, uh, you know, Mark Allen, Dave Scott, Scott Tenley, you know, I thought I'd join the, uh, the club triathlon team at CU Boulder. And then, uh, right after my senior year of high school, I read a book called running with the Buffaloes, uh, that some listeners might be familiar with. It's a, um, first person account of, of a season spent with the, uh, CU Buffs cross country team, uh, you know, apparently one of the, the best teams in the nation. And, and they especially followed, uh, Adam Goucher in that story and his quest, uh, to, to win the national championship. I read that and, and, you know, thought, man, maybe I can do that. You know, maybe I can, can make this team. So I trained really hard that summer and, uh, you know, kind of showed, uh, coach Wetmore that, that I, you know, that I was interested and willing to put in the, uh, the miles and the, and the work. And, uh, lo and behold, I ended up, um, making the team, uh, that fall. So that was, that was kind of cool to, to run on that team for a couple years. You know, I didn't have a, a distinguished college running career, uh, by any means and, and, um, had fun with that, was able to, to do well at the, at the national championship in that sport. Um, and then my senior year, I kind of made the jump to, uh, to adventure racing, which was something else, uh, my dad had done. Um, he did all of the eco challenges, uh, races, which some listeners, may remember uh from the discovery channel this is late 90s early 2000s and uh uh, so anyway dad had done all those you know when i was a teenager and and i knew that eventually i wanted to get into that sport of adventure racing so um that's what i did you know senior year of college i was able to connect with some some great experienced high-level athletes in, in their 30s and 40s and Lo and behold, uh, pretty soon I was I was racing around the world, um, you know, and kind of at the highest level in that sport. From the point when you uh, when you decided, hey, you know what, collegiate running, um, that's that's high level. Um, I want to take this into another gear, and I want to start exploring what it looks like um, to train my body in such a way that that I'm going to be put in a race um, that's that's up against international athletes. A lot of athletes, you know, who get into this ultra distance stuff, often it's a progression. You know, let's say you're a runner, maybe in college you do the 10K, and, and then after college you, you know, you do a half marathon, then you do a marathon, then you do a 50K and a 50 mile, and you kind of slowly build up. And you know, that's that's a fine way to do it, and and um, you know, works for a lot of people. You know, for for me, it was kind of like, well, you know, my main thing had been the like the the two hour Olympic distance triathlon and i kind of went from that to you know 24 and, and then three four or five six day adventure races um relatively quickly but but i think i was you know i was ready for that because i had a unique perspective given what i had grown up around you know most things in life are a question of of what you're used to and uh you know if, if you've been around something for a long time it just pretty much seems normal in in a nutshell adventure racing is a a, a multi-sport event where uh, a variety of disciplines are, are combined. There's almost always mountain biking. There's almost always uh, trail running or trekking. Uh, there's, there's always some kind of paddling. So canoes, kayaks, rafts, um, uh, packable uh, pack rafts, those kind of things. Uh, there's almost always some sort of fixed rope. So, you know, um, uh, ascending uh, up a cliff, uh, rappelling down, maybe a Tyrolean traverse uh, between cliffs or, or spires, uh, maybe a via ferrata. Um, 
those kind of things. And, and then they also throw in, uh, you know, unique cultural uh, or, or, or local uh, discipline. So, you know, if you're, if you're racing in the mountains, maybe you're skiing or, or snowshoeing. Um, you know, if, if you're in the desert, uh, maybe, maybe your co-ed team of four is given a camel for a section and you, you got to truck along with your camel, or maybe it's doing the same thing, uh, with, with the horse or a donkey or a mule. Um, so it's, it's these very unique disciplines and, and it's also, uh, cool and, and challenging because you have four person teams typically. So, so it's, it's not a relay race. It's four people traveling together, uh, men and women working as a team. And, uh, the, the shorter races, you know, maybe it's just six hours, uh, or, or 12 hours or 24 hours, but then the long races, you're, you're talking four or five, six, seven days of, of nonstop racing, uh, you know, overnight with, with sleep deprivation, uh, and with navigation, that's a big piece of it. You know, you go out to do your triathlon or ultra run and you're on a marked course and you know the distance and you know what you're going to do ahead of time. In adventure race, it's not a marked course. You're navigating with map and compass the whole time. And you don't even know what the course is, uh, typically until the day before the race, you, you take your highs and lows of, of a year of, of normal life and kind of compress it into a week. And, uh, and, and there you have your adventure race. Travis has a mantra called it's all good mental training. And, uh, he scooped that up from, from Papa Mace, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one of it. It, it actually, it, it still is one of my dad's favorites. And now, uh, you know, my, I, I have kids now, so our kids are, are, uh, five and seven, I, th- I think, uh, probably pretty close in age to, to yours, as I recall. And so, yeah, now, um, my dad's got, uh, He's, he's starting to kind of start the, uh, the, the preaching of his, of his sayings, uh, with, with my kids and he's still using that one, but you know, it's, it's all good mental training. And the idea behind that is you're, you know, you're doing something, um, challenging and, and you kind of have a choice. Like, you know, oftentimes the, the natural inclination when something is hard is, is to have a negative story of, uh, you know, this sucks, or I wish I was doing something else, or I wish the situation could, could change. And, you know, and it's, and it's fine to do things if it's in your power to change a situation, but in many cases, you know, the best thing to, to change the situation is just to, to change that story. And if you tell her something, something like, well, this, you know, maybe this isn't fun at the moment, but it, but it is good mental training. It's making me tougher. It's helping me fill this well of resilience that I can draw from, when things are really tough, when I don't have a, uh, you know, a choice when I'm doing something that's, uh, you know, the suffering that comes in life without choice. Um, I think that's the, a big piece of the value to going out and doing something hard, whether that's an adventure racer, an ultra run or, or the Leadville 100 mountain bike racer, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just losing some weight or going out and, and walking a 5k, you know, there's a big value in, in all of these things. That's uh man, that is so congruent with what, what we preach at adventure deficit and adventure is subjective. It's, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Yep. Whatever's hard, yeah. whatever's hard in the moment is your hurdle. Push it. Yep. Cross it. Yeah. Travis, talk to us a little bit, um, about kind of that early adventure scene. Give us a, give us just a brief rundown. You, you mentioned a team is co-ed. It's a four person team. Um, talk to us maybe about some of your specialty skill sets within those team on a pretty broad stroke. And then let's try and zero in kind of on, on the adventure story that you're going to share with us, um, yep. from there. Yeah. So within adventure racing, um, you know, especially if, if you know, if you want to race kind of at the, you know, at the top level where, where you're doing some of these international races and, and you know, maybe going for the win or, or trying to get a podium or earn some prize money, that those kind of things. I mean, pretty much everyone on the team has, has got to be 
really good at, at something, at, at least at least one of the main sports. And, and you know, with those, I would think of, um, you know, running slash trekking, mountain biking uh, and paddling. And, uh, you know, for, for me and most of the top American teams um, are teams that do well uh, be, because they're, they're really good at mountain biking um, or trekking, you know, and, and especially mountain trekking, you know, let's say high in the mountains. And, and those are kind of, you know, those are the things we have. A lot of the best American teams have, have come from Colorado. And, and you, if you look at, well, what do we have here in Colorado? Like we have a lot of big mountains that are great for mountain biking and great for uh, running and hiking up high. So that's what you can get good at. Uh, you know, some of the, the top, let's say, Aussies and Kiwis in the sport who, who really are perennially the, the best in the world, um, those men and women are also fantastic paddlers. Uh, and, and that's what they grow up doing, whether it's river paddling, uh, ocean paddling. Um, you know, they just, they, they excel at that. And, uh, you know, we here in America, may, you know, we train harder than we put in the time. But, you know, we're never, we're never going to touch those people in, in the paddling. And so, um, you know, it's funny, oftentimes uh, international or, or, or multinational teams will uh, develop and, you know, maybe – Maybe the American team has the sponsorship or they, you know, they have three out of the four people, but it's like, man, we need a really good paddler. So, uh, you know, you call up your, your buddy who's an Aussie or a Kiwi and they come in and, you know, it's incredible how having one really good paddling engine on the team can, can make a huge difference. Um, so anyway, that, you know, the running and mountain biking are kind of my wheelhouse and, and, and as well, you know, with adventure racing, I've done quite a bit of the navigation and, and that's, you know, that's huge too is, is, uh, spending less time lost, uh, you know, and, and really nailing it on these, these checkpoints. And, um, so that's really, it's a, it's a skill to work on. It's, it's something I didn't really grow up doing. You know, I developed it as a, as a skill for adventure racing. And, and so that's what got me into doing some orienteering and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not by any means, not one of the best navigators in, in the world or anything, but, you know, I got to a point where, you know, I, I could do, do pretty well with it. So what Travis is talking about is um, there's there's regulations against GPS, obviously, right? Occasionally, there there are uh, some races where where GPS um, is allowed, and and that, and that totally, I mean, that that almost adds a, a in some ways throws a, a stick in the spokes because you know most people in adventure racing they you know you you work so hard on map and compass navigation that, that you never really get good at using a GPS. A lot of people have no idea what we're talking about. And to be honest, unless you brush up on those skills, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could grab a topo map or a topo map right now and find my way around um, if I were just dropped off. But I mean, at some point, that's what you guys are technically doing out there. You've got a folded map, you've got a, a dial compass, and you've got um, a clear reading scale on the on the side of it and you're basically looking for waypoints and you're using triangulation to to monitor where you are and where you're going right yeah exactly you know it could be triangulation or or it could be you know using uh you know you're taking a lot of bearings to go from point to point and and in most terrain you know let's say you're you're in the mountains in colorado you're using natural features as what we might call a handrail so you know, maybe there's a river. Well, that, that, that river, or at least the river valley, you know, if you know how to read the topo map, that's going to be pretty clearly defined. And, you know, hopefully you can use that to, to kind of see uh, where you are. Uh, most races do allow 
uh, watches that, with an altimeter. So not really a GPS watch, but a, but a um, watch that, that gives you the altitude uh, using barometric pressure. And that can be another piece too, at least if your watch is working right. Well, right now I know I'm at about 10,000, you know, 400 feet. And, and, and then you match that up to the lines on the map. You match it up to the topography of the ridge lines. You know, maybe it's um, even um, other features like vegetation, you know, where is the tree line or where is a, a break in the trees, those kind of things. And uh, yeah, you're putting all that together. And, you know, people are growing up and they, they never, they've never learned how to read a map. Traditional map and compass. Awesome, awesome skill set to have. Um, and it's not that expensive. And if you want to start learning uh, about how to use a traditional map and compass, uh, I would encourage you to do so. It's an awesome skill set to have. It's completely rewarding. Um, and it teaches you something that's valuable. Yeah, I think so. And, and my advice would be just combine it with the other stuff you're doing. You know, you're going out and you're hiking or you're running or you're mountain biking or um, hunting is an example of, of a great outdoor discipline uh, where map and compass navigation can be uh, extremely important. So take those opportunities and, and uh, I think you'll be excited about it. Travis, um, in the adventure deficit uh, community, we always start off with... Uh, with basically a, a up to speed story about uh, early childhood. <clears throat> and then we ask that you transition into uh, the meat of, of the segment. And in the meat of the segment, um, our guests share with us an adventure story. Um, and Travis's adventure story is phenomenal. Um, I can't wait to hear it. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of roll, roll out the carpet for him to uh, un unleash the details of a six day Abu Dhabi adventure race. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about your adventure story. Well, so if you set the scene here, this is, uh, December, 2009. So we're, you know, we've got athletes from all over the world are, are coming together for, uh, one of the biggest races that year. So this, this is a race that, um, has in, in the world of adventure racing, it has good, prize money it's it's not like a pga tour event or or anything like that uh, but in the world of adventure racing you know this is a race where where all the top teams are going um there there's a good carrot uh at the end and uh people are coming from from all over to uh to the um location of abu dhabi for the abu dhabi adventure challenge um our team, uh, let's see, for this race, uh, we've had a variety of sponsors over the years. I think at this point we were uh, Team Solomon Crested Butte. Uh, so there's uh, three of us from uh, Colorado, uh, myself and, and my friends uh, John Brown and Eric Sullivan, a um, couple of uh, rustic guys from uh, the, the cow town of Gunnison, uh, Colorado, um, the great little town with a, with a bunch of world-class athletes. Uh, and then the female on our team, um, was a woman named Denise McHale, uh, who lived, uh, lives in Whitehorse, uh, up in the Yukon territory in Canada. Uh, so anyway, it's, uh, you know, we're coming from, uh, the, the dead of winter here in Colorado. We've got other uh, athletes from Australia and, and New Zealand and uh, South America, a number of athletes from, from Asia. And, um, you know, so it's kind of unique. I mean, we, we're coming from winter going to a, a full-on desert environment. And uh, we've, we've got other athletes who are, who are in the heat of summer uh, coming to somewhere that, who knows, maybe it's even a little bit cooler in Abu Dhabi. 
so you can imagine that um, getting just getting to one of these races could could be an epic in itself. So you've you've got your bike, you've got uh, kayak paddles, you've got PFDs, you you've got a you know a whole bag of climbing equipment. Um, you know you've got headlights, you've you've got uh, food and, and camping equipment uh, for for this entire excursion. So it, you know it becomes a lot, and it's it's kind of chaotic. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's it's humorous, um, but typically by the by the time you get to the start of the race, you know you've you've gotten to this country, you've spent maybe a day or two unpacking your gear. Uh, usually the, the day before the race, they give you the maps and you find out, you know, what's going to actually happen on course. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, it's almost ready for the race to start. And, and by that time you're, you're typically pretty tired out. Um, you know, you're, the, the race hasn't even begun and, and you're, you're a bit stressed. You're, you're probably sleep deprived. Uh, you know, your body is, is probably still, uh, about six time zones off and, uh, and then it's time to start the, the biggest race of the year. Um, and, and that's just, you know, that's, that's par for the course. Unless you happen to live in the location where the race is, uh, that's something that, that everyone is going to, uh, to face. Um, so this race, the like I said, the Abu Dhabi Adventure Challenge, um, this is one of the races that followed a stage format. So I, I mentioned before, a, a lot of the longer uh, adventure races uh, fall in what's called expedition format, and that's where you race nonstop uh, around the clock, um, you know, basically however long it takes to get to the finish line, and the, and the clock never stops. Um, this one was a little bit different in, in that it was a stage race. So if you imagine, uh, you know, let's say in the world of cycling, the, the Tour de France or something like that, that's a stage race, right? You, you wake up each morning, uh, you know, you race some set distance during the day, and, and then there's a, a finish line, and then uh, you sleep at, at least uh, some at night. So that's kind of what we were looking at here. You know, most of the days were, were pretty long, you know, probably something like 8 to 12 hours of racing. Uh, and, and then a couple of days over the six day period, um, you actually kind of race through, through the, the night. Um, but sleep deprivation wasn't as big of an issue, um, which is, which is kind of nice. Uh, so the, the, the gun went off for this race. Um, we were in Abu Dhabi city, um, which is a, uh, it's, it, it's incredible. One of my favorite things about um, these races, especially the international ones over the years has been seeing these, uh, these locations and, and seeing the, the culture. So this, uh, Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi city, um, you know, some of it is, is, uh, is new and, and other parts of it are, are very old. You know, some of these, uh, these castles, this place where we started the race was, uh, kind of a, a palace um and we we're actually on the grounds of you know what will look to me like like an ancient palace and we started right there and we're running around the grounds of it uh you know we're, we're uh biking down the the streets of of the city and um the the first thing that that we did uh in the race they they called it in an adventure triathlon prologue so um a, a prologue you know again kind of like the the tour de france oftentimes the the, the first stage will, will be like a real short uh, time trial that, that they might even call a, a prologue. And, and so that's what we did. The, the, the first element of this race was probably about, about a two-hour triathlon and, uh, or, or mix of sports. You know, it wasn't swim, bike, run like you would in a triathlon. It was actually uh, bike and then run and then swim uh, and then kayak and then run 
and then kayak again. So it was kind of a, oh, wow. uh, I don't know, whatever that is, a five, five or six stage uh, triathlon, but over the course of, of two or three hours. So, you know, super fast, full speed ahead, um, you know, really interesting going in and out of, out of this city and, and kind of a microcosm of the, of the race as a whole. So, um, you know, that, that was really neat. Um, that was kind of in the morning on the first day. Uh, and then we stopped for a couple hours and, uh, you know, had some lunch and, and mostly just organized our gear, uh, for what was to come next. Um, because the next stage, which occurred that same day, um, was a 33 kilometer, uh, sea kayaking section. So this is, uh, about 20 miles of, um, of sea kayaking, uh, basically out, out in the open ocean. And, and this is, again, you know, you can imagine if you're coming from Colorado or, or God forbid, the Yukon Territory in the middle of December, um, you know, you haven't been doing exactly a lot of open ocean uh, kayaking. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, we, we were committed to it, so we, we got out there in, the, in, in these boats and, um, and did our best. And, and, and it was really cool, you know. I mean, in, in a nutshell, you're basically paddling kind of along the coastline of, uh, you know, a, a vast desert, uh, but, but slowly veering away from the coastline and eventually uh, making your, your way out to a little island out there. Um, and this is all navigating, too, and, and actually, na- you know, navigating with the map and compass um, on land, and, and, you know, especially in the mountains where you have a lot of terrain features, that, that's one thing. But doing it out in the ocean where sometimes you, you can't even see the land that you're paddling to, and, and again, you don't have GPS or anything, um, that's, uh, especially for someone who, who hasn't done a ton of it like me, I mean, that's a, that's a daunting um a daunting task. Uh, but eventually we, you know, we finally made it there. We, 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 late at night, we made it out to, uh, out to this Island. I remember, um, paddling into this, this teeny little Island where all the teams were going to camp. Um, the tide was, was going out and it was a super powerful, uh, like riptide current and, um, paddling into it just to get to the Island. It was, it was like paddling upstream, you know, it was like being in a, in a river and paddling up the stream and, and, and we, we literally couldn't make it. It was so powerful right at that, uh, moment that, that we had to, you know, probably from a hundred yards away or something, we could tell the water wasn't very deep and, and we had to actually jump out of the boats and, and kind of trudge and, and just pull them into, um, into uh this this teeny little you know sand island i mean it's probably a couple hundred yards across um where where the teams were going to camp and you're paddling against these aussies and and kiwis these are some of the best paddlers in the world and you know here we are a a day into the race and we've already lost you you know a a decent amount of of time were there two two to a boat or four to a boat how did that break up Oh, great question. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's, it's two to a boat. So we got four people on the team. Um, we, we, you have two, two person, uh, sea kayaks and, and what was unique about, um, this event, uh, they, they provided the boats, uh, thank goodness. So we didn't have to, you know, bring those, uh, from home. So these are, these are big, long sea kayaks. You know, you've got, um, a, uh, you've got a storage area in the middle, you know, where you can put, uh, some of your gear and, and stuff in there. Um, but these, these sea kayaks also had little, uh, sails on them. So each, each sea kayak had, uh, two masts running up and, and then a, a small sail that you could actually, uh, pull out if you wanted to. Um, and, and that was, it, it was, it was great if, if they worked, you know, if you had the wind going just the right way and you knew how to use the sail really well. Uh, you could get it, you know, so the wind would catch the sail and, and help you move forward in addition to the paddling. Uh, but it, it was also a challenge, especially for those of us, 
you know, if you, if you don't have a lot of experience using a sale or getting it to turn the right way or using these exact sales, um, at times it, it was just a waste of time because you'd get it put up and then it would fall down or it, it's, it's stuff that you're uncomfortable with and, and that you're not used to. And had be, had we been, uh, you know, ski mountaineering or Nordic skiing in, in the Rockies, we probably would have been a lot more comfortable than, uh, you know, some of the people who have more ocean paddling experience. Uh, but anyway, that, that first night, it was, it was one of the best nights of, of camping in my life. The, the racing's done and you have this like short window of time out on this island, you know, in the middle of nowhere in the ocean where, where you can just take it in and, and enjoy, you know, looking at the stars and being, being out there with like-minded people from, from all around the world and, and sleeping in, in a magnificent place. You know, it was, it was really cool. And, uh, and, and the next day was, um, paddling again. So you're, you're kind of paddling back to the mainland. Um, and in this case, you're, uh, the paddle was 55 kilometers. So, you know, we're looking at 30 plus, uh, miles of, of open ocean paddling, um, that day, uh, which again, you know, for, for us, that's a big challenge. It's a yeah. long, it's a whole day sitting in a boat, uh, navigating. Um, I, I remember that stage was uniquely challenging because, uh, we were in a bunch of these little channels between islands and within the channel, uh, there, there were some places where the water was nice and deep and you could go fast. And then there were other places where it wasn't deep enough. And you, you know, you might even hit a sandbar that you didn't see coming or, or something like that. So it was again, really tough. So we, we, you know, we, we kept going, we, we hammered through and, uh, and we made it to the end. You know, that, that one was just a whole day of, of only paneling, uh, you know, till somewhere sometime in, in the evening. And, uh, we, we finally made it, but, but by the end of the day, we had, we had lost significant time, um, to, uh, to those top teams, you know, I don't know exactly what place we were in, but we, we weren't where we wanted to be. You know, this is a big race of the year. We, you know, we had a good team, we had good sponsors and, you know, our goal is to, is to end up on the podium for this thing and, and hopefully take some home some money. And, you know, we, we have a substantial time deficit now, you know, based on, um, a couple of these stages that, that were really hard for us and, and really played to some other teams, uh, strengths. So we, uh, we, we finished that day uh, we, we loaded a, a bus and we, we drove way out into the, the desert and uh, we actually got almost into Saudi Arabia. So where um, Abu Dhabi meets uh, Saudi Arabia um, along this borderline, we, we got we got really close to that. And, and then um, we had another great night of camping. Um, this one was it was super cool. The race organizers created um, these uh, these tents, you know, I guess that that are that are the kind of um tents that that uh you know maybe local people would have would have used for for years and years and, and within the tents they had these uh the, these big fantastic uh kind of couch pillows you know the, these intricately uh colored um pillows lining the ground uh, and, they, and they made this incredible feast of uh you know meats and cheeses and and uh and, and again this is unique because usually in adventure races especially the expedition races i mean you're just surviving on you know granola bars and gels and you know whatever you can just buy quick energy yeah yeah exactly a gas station i mean you're, you're so sick by the end of that kind of food but but it just turned out you know that was kind of part of what they were going for uh in this race and, and sometimes in, in some of these races you know they, they'll actually be funded by uh, you know, like a local, uh, tourism board or something. So, so part of the push of the race is to, is to create a really good film that they can show on local, uh, TV and, and promote, um, tourism in the area. So that's 
part of what they were going for here. And, and that night was incredible. You know, just all all this food, uh, you know, just an, an amazing spot uh, out in the desert. And again, a kind of, you know, a brief break from from the task at hand. Uh, but that that task at hand drew it. It, it came back um, full on the next morning. And, um, yeah. and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, 4.30 a.m., uh, our alarms go off. It's It's still dark. You got to pack up your stuff, get get the bag ready, and um, get ready basically to to trek a uh, hundred kilometers um, across um, across this this big open expanse of sand dunes. Um, they, the the name of this area um, translates to, to something like the empty quarter. And uh, they, they told us, and it definitely seemed true based on being there, they told us that this is the largest expanse of unbroken sand dunes anywhere in the world. And, uh, and that's really what it was like. I mean, it was, it was amazing, just sand dunes and sand dunes uh, as far as you could see. And, uh, you know, like I said, we had found out the day before the race, well, this, this stage involves uh, 100 kilometers, you know, so 60-plus miles of trekking across these sand dunes, uh, you know, basically over, over the course of two days. So this is kind of that, that extended stage where, uh, you're, you're going to be starting early in the morning, going all day, going all night and, and then finishing, uh, sometime the next day. And, uh, you know, this, it was, it was sort of drew, it was, it was kind of a moment of, of truth for us because, you know, like I said, competition wise, we, we knew we were not sitting where we wanted to be. You know, we had probably lost enough time in, in those paddling sections that, you know, there's little chance that we're going to be able to make the, the podium overall at the end of these six days. Um, but we, we had to decide, are, are we going to, are we going to do this? Are we going to, are we going to put in the work or are, are we going to, and we actually saw, you know, you're walking to the, to the starting line of the stage early in the morning, you know, you can veer to the right and get to the starting line, or you can, can veer to the left. And, uh, there's, there's a bus sitting there, a nice air conditioned bus. And, uh, you know, we ask around and it turns out you can get on that bus. You, you can grab your stuff, get on that bus and, and go back to the hotel, this five-star hotel and sit by the pool and, uh, you know, uh, drink fine drinks and, and hang out for the next five days instead of, instead of cranking it out there in the desert. Travis has this cheery voice that would, uh, that would have you understanding this in a, in a way it might sound like Travis was on a camping trip. He went 35 <laughs> miles in the open ocean in a two-person kayak. Yes, he had a nice dinner in what sounds like a, a pretty lush, lavish uh, spread, but he woke up at 4 a.m. the next morning. If you're asking me, I'm putting in 35 miles on the open water. My butt hurts. My arms hurt. I've probably got some lactic acid built up that uh, is probably feeling it, bed probably sounds really good at 4 30 a.m <laughs> yeah 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 no thank you Drew. And, and that's right i mean you know you uh your your, your body chooses selective memories but, but you're right <laughs> I mean, you're, you're right you're you're smashed i mean you know you're you, at this point it's mostly your your core and upper body but yeah also your your butt from from sitting there and uh, you know and you've been dehydrated and cooked in the sun, you know, for, for two days. So yeah, you're, you're smashed. And basically you, you got a choice. Are you going to get on the bus or are you going to go to the starting line and, you know, try to do what, what you came to do. And, uh, and thankfully we, we made the right choice. You know, we, we turned the right way. We, we went to the starting line and, uh, and we headed out there, you know, with most of the other teams, some, some teams, uh, made the other choice of, of going back to the hotel, but, but most people, persevered and and uh and i think that's the right choice and so we headed out there and 
man, this uh, this playster, it's just, like I said, it's unbelievable. Nothing but sand dunes as far as you can see. And, and the navigation here was was really unique because uh, the sand dunes are always changing. You have one thing, and the, the one thing that you have is is every so often, you know, it, it could be two kilometers, and, you know, it could be 10K, but every so often there are these, uh, these salt flats, a flat space, let's say the size of a football field or so, uh, where, where there's not a sand dune and it's just this this dry crusted salty uh, ground. I don't know. I don't know why the sand dunes don't form there, but apparently these stay pretty much in the same place, and that's what we could see on these rudimentary uh, satellite images that they had given us for for maps. So basically, you know, over the course of this hundred hundred kilometer trek, which is you know roughly point A to point B, you know they've plotted out you know, let's say 10 or so of these salt flats, uh, with checkpoints at them. Okay. Um, so that, that's what you're navigating to and from. Okay. And, uh, you know, at, at, uh, some of those checkpoints, it's just a little, you know, basically this little, uh, electronic thing that's <laughs> sitting there on a stick out in the middle of the, <laughs> of, of the field. And you just kind of plug this little chip into it, you know, it registers that, that you went there. Um, okay. and at, at some of them there, there was water, you know, they, they drove out and, in jeeps or by camels or something like that, you know, they, they got some water out there, uh, so that, that you could actually, you know, refill. Uh, but unfortunately it, it wasn't quite enough water. It was, it was really, you know, you can imagine the logistics of getting all these, these bottles of water out there. So, you know, they, they had, they had to measure it cause it, you know, it wasn't fair to any teams that, that came further back. You know, you can imagine what if you got there and it was empty, uh, but it wasn't enough, you know, had there been, it, unlimited water you know you'd be dumping it all over your body you'd be drinking a ton you know you'd be you know really really enjoying it but it, it was basically kind of just enough to to make it through especially in the heat of the day I remember yeah what's the temperature the, oh it, it was hot i mean i i don't know I, I would guess probably at least 100 um you know so not not incredibly hot i mean we're not talking like you know death valley hot like the the bad water ultra marathon you know some people may be familiar with that you know that races like that you're talking 120 plus degrees um you know it's not that hot but it, but it's over 100 degrees and, and literally there's no shade <laughs> you know there's nothing there but sand dudes so you're you know it's just whatever whatever uh, you know clothes you can have on i, th- I think i had a you know hat that had a brim and then i kind of had a uh a neck thing going over my neck neck to try to try to shade some of that but you know you're you're pretty exposed so uh you know you're you're, you're out there cooking I, I remember one of the biggest um challenges we faced actually fairly early on in this stage um was uh my buddy john john brown like i said you know he's a um former professional mountain biker super elite athlete and, and a great person someone who's who's just become an incredible friend over the years through uh through doing this kind of stuff together um john had an issue with his toenail and what was going on is um we had chosen to wear gore-tex shoes uh, because of the sand. So imagine you, you got regular running shoes on that sand just goes right through the mesh in the shoes. And, and then it gets into your shoe and it gets in between your toes and under your foot. And, it, and it's basically just like sandpaper, you know, it'll decimate your shoes. Uh, so you need some kind of barrier that's going to keep the sand out. So we had chosen to use, uh, Gore-Tex shoes, which was a good choice. Cause that, that Gore-Tex, you know, it's basically a waterproof barrier. It keeps the sand out. Uh, but, but what we fit, what we overlooked uh, in, in prepping the gear for this race is that these particular shoes, the, the Gore-Tex layer 
was underneath an external layer of, uh, of mesh, you know, kind of your typical shoe material. Mm. So what happened is, is the sand would get <clears throat> through that mesh and in between the mesh and the Gore-Tex, and it would slowly pack in there. And it was kind of like your, your shoes were just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And over a number of hours for that, it, it really starts to uh, compress and, and jam in on your feet. And uh, it, it was really, for some reason, one of John's big toenails was just really getting smashed. So at, at some point in, in the middle of that day, you know, he was just, it was really hurting him. It was, it was starting to slow us down. So finally, we, we stopped out there, you know, took off, took off his shoe and looked at it. And, and basically, um, there, we determined there was a huge uh, blood blister underneath his big toenail, and uh, as you can imagine, that's it's super painful. The, the, the toenail just gets really inflamed. It becomes incredibly tender, especially with, uh, you know, those shoes that are now too small. The, the, the toenail is just pounding into the end of it. And we realized we, we got to do something here. So uh, sometimes these these blisters under the toes and actually, you you know, you do enough ultra running, adventure racing, that kind of stuff. You, you, you get your experience of. Of, of messing with a whole range of blisters and toe problems and, you know, other, other maladies that can affect various parts of the body. So, uh, we, we realized, all right, we, we got to pop this blister, right? Well, somehow we need to relieve this pressure. So, um, one thing you can try first is, is to use a, uh, like a safety pen, um, and, and just kind of stick it under the toenail, you know, kind of between the toenail and the toe, and it, it sounds kind of disgusting, and, and it is. It's actually, yeah. It is actually disgusting. Yeah. Um, and, and if you were to do that right now, you know, if you're sitting there at home and you're thinking about doing this, don't try it. Because if you don't have a blister there, I'm sure it would just be incredibly painful, right? Because you're, you're poking into, into living tissue. But if there's a big blister there, it, you know, it actually doesn't hurt quite as much as, as you think it would. Uh, so anyway, we, we kind of probed under the toenail, you know, with with the safety pin that, that didn't work, you know, kind of didn't get the draining. So we realized, all right, we're, we're going to have to just, we're going to have to, to, uh, you know, kind of burrow through the top of the toenail and get a hole in, you know, right in the top of the toenail. That's going to allow, uh, the, the, the pus of this blister to come out and relieve the pressure. So, um, anyway, we're, we're out in the middle of the, of the desert, you know, as you can imagine, it's probably not the, the most, uh, sanitary conditions, I guess, for, for this, uh, you know, minor surgery as it were, but you know, you, <laughs> you do what you got to do. So yeah. anyway, um, you know, John, John kind of sat there and, and enjoyed his drink of water while I, while I used, um, you know, his, uh, his pocket knife. And I, 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 uh, you know, basically, um, eventually poked and kind of burrowed through the toenail and, and got down there and, um, and, and relieve this, this blister. And, and then, you, you know, we kind of left, basically left a hole in the toenail so that the, the further, um, pus could, could make it out and it, and it wouldn't accumulate again. You know, that's, that's adventure racing. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that, that happens. And, and, uh, you know, we know, well, you're, you're only out there a few more days, so probably it's not going to become super infected. Uh, thankfully this is a, a relatively dry race. You know, some of the races you're, you're out there in, in swamps and bogs and that kind of stuff. And that's, those ones are really bad on your feet. Right. It was a 60 mile sand segment, right? Are you running or are you walking? Uh, you know, good question. It's, it's a mix. It's a lot of, I would say the majority of the time is, is kind of what, what we call like power hiking. So you're, you're not actually running, you know, you got a, you got a backpack on, you got a bunch of mandatory equipment, you got, you know, food. And, uh, we actually had a, a small tent that was mandatory gear. So, okay. you know, you got this stuff and, and you're going up and down these sand dunes and, you know, e- even if you're fresh and you have nothing, it's, you know, it's really hard to run up a sand dune. So we're kind of, you know, trekking, but, but hiking at a very hard intensity, 
Um, and then usually running down the sand dunes, you know, we found that the best way to kind of make it through these sand dunes is, is you, you know, you sort of set a bearing of, okay, we think the, the next salt flat is approximately this, uh, you know, compass bearing. And, and then you kind of look off in the distance and say, well, we're going to keep going that way. But then you really, what you want to do is follow the, the ridge lines of the sand dunes. So if, if you just go straight up and down them on the steep parts, it's really hard to make it up and even down. But if you kind of follow these ridge lines and go in the, the correct general direction, uh, that was a lot easier to travel. So, you know, basically we, we, we went on and on, you know, through the night, uh, early the next morning. Um, one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a race or, or anywhere as the sun's coming up, we, we see a, a mother camel and a newborn baby uh, kind of off a few sand dunes over. And I mean, Drew, it looks like this thing has just been born. It's, it's like dripping wet there, you know, and you got the, you got the sun coming up and just incredible to, to see that. No and, and another moment where, you know, we, we pause, we're like, this is, uh, you know, we're in the heat of the race. We know we're gaining on some of these teams in front of us, but like, we got to stop and look at this. So, no, it's so cool. we spent a couple minutes just, yeah, just watching it and, um, super cool. And, and, uh, you know, and then kept racing hard the, the, the first few hours of, of that second day. And, um, lo and behold, after, after a hundred kilometers of racing, and, and this is, it's incredible how often this happens, but it turns out there, there's like six teams right together. One of them being us, you know, we had kind of lost some time with, with the toenail thing. And, and then I got a bit sick in the, in the middle of the night and did some dry heaving and stuff. And, um, we kind of lost touch with the leaders, but somehow we caught them and, uh, and here we are, you know, it's the final kilometers to the finish. There's six teams together and everyone's basically just going full bore all out. So yeah, you were down. by the key, the Kiwis were ahead of you on the, the paddling section and you hadn't seen them since. Well, we all, so the, the, the sand trekking section, everyone started together. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, these teams that are with us now at the finish of the stage, you know, overall, they've still got a lead. Okay. But there's still something to be said for winning the stage. You know, there's actually some prize money for winning the stage. And I think there was a time bonus or something. And so anyway, there, you know, there's like six teams together and, and we're like, you know, man, maybe we have a chance to come away with, with a stage win here. You know, that'd be, that'd be cool. That'd be, you know, something to be, be happy with. So, you know, we, we hammered it down and, and it, I'll never forget the finish of this stage. You know, it's again, six teams. So, so 24 people running full speed down this huge sand, uh, this huge um, dune, you know, probably, I don't know, like a, let's say a hundred foot vertical drop or something like that. So a really big sand dune, we're all sprinting down it. And then the final finish is, is like 200 yards of flat across this uh, salt flat, you know, a, a sprint to the finish. And, um, you know, so we're just hauling. Everyone is running for all they're worth. And, and in order to finish, all four people have to come across. So we hammer down, we sprint across this salt flat and, and somehow we just had, a little bit more left, you know, who knows, maybe it was because we had been doing more running in the, in the snow, you know, to get ready for it. But, uh, we just had a little bit more left and, and we ended up winning the stage, you know, we, we won the sprint finish and, uh, you know, so we got the, got that time bonus. And, and most of all, Drew, what, what we got is, you know, we just realized, okay, we, you know, we made the right choice here. You never know what's going to happen in life. And, you know, if you, a lot of times, if you take the easy road or you get on the, get on the bus as it were to, you know, go back to the hotel, you know, yeah. you don't know what could have happened had you put yourself out there and made yourself vulnerable and, and done something a little bit uncomfortable. That's so cool. So that was, I mean, that was pure elation, right? Because that's pretty miserable. I, you're a, you're an ultra athlete. I'm a, I'm a regular guy. Running through 60 miles of a sand dune is, uh, that's quite a feat. That'll, that'll pound on your body. But back that up to a 35 mile paddle 
in the triathlon that you did the the uh the first day that's a lot of wear and tear man um so even for your stud athlete to go down with with a with a hammer toe or whatever whatever <laughs> yeah. you want to call that um i mean that's that that's not weakness at that point that's just that's natural and it's just basically what we're talking about is just four people who are pushing through that natural barrier and and you guys were already i mean at the very beginning of the sand section it sounds like you guys had already hit that that threshold where there were teams going yeah this this isn't worth it yeah Yep. Yeah, that was, you know, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, whether whether it's adventure racing or, or whether it's life, whether it's parenting, right? You know, we probably got a lot of listeners out there who, who are parents. I mean, you know, things aren't going to be ideal, right? It's it's going to be hard. You you want to raise kids. You you want to uh, persevere through a marriage and, and make things as, as, as good as they can be. I mean, that's that's life, right? Things aren't ideal. Things are, things are tough. And oftentimes, I think that the most important things in life often are are the hardest and the things that can, can really turn into a grind. And, uh, you know, that's, if you ask me, that's, that's why you get, get out here. That's, that's why, you know, when I, when I thought about writing a book, I mean, it's like, well, what can you learn doing these kind of things that you can apply to, uh, to, to your marriage, to your parenting, to, you know, growing your business, whether it's your own business or, you know, working your way up the corporate ladder. Um, these things are going to be a grind and you're, you're going to need some, some grit and some resilience. Um, so then, you know, that came through. I mean, you know, we, that, that was, that was the third and fourth days of that race. So then, then, uh, you know, day five was, was this epic long mountain bike section, just sand blown around everywhere. A lot, a lot of pushing bikes through sand. Um, pretty cool. You know, like I said, we're, you know, we're a good mountain biking team. So that, that went, I don't think we won the stage, but you know, it it ended up pretty well. I think we got second or third. Um, and then, then the final stage was a real dynamic one with some, some navigation and some, uh, some ropes, some more trekking and mountain biking. And, and it turned out going into that, we actually had, we had another chance at, at, at you know, we had, we had gained some time back and we were like within striking distance to the podium. You know, I think we were in fourth or fifth place and it was like, wow, if things go well here, we might be able to do it. Uh, but, but early in that stage, I actually had a, a pretty significant low moment. There was some really tough, um, desert navigation. Um, and, and it turned out on this part, they actually let you use a GPS, um, which, like I said, I, I used as much and, and I made some crucial mistakes, Drew, and, and we ended up losing a bunch of time again, and, and unfortunately, you know, kind of dropping out of um, podium contention. And, and it's it's like life because you make mistakes, you know. You, yep. you can't be perfect in life. And we made it through, and we finished, and you know, it was it was an amazing experience. That's cool that you won the the desert stage, and you guys were able to share in that victory together. And, and that's also true, isn't it? Of of life, that lots of times, you know, it's like the the song, the darkest hours is just before dawn. And, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of times things can, you know, again, whether it's business relationships, you know, anything in in your life, things can look really bleak and, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to keep going, but if, if you do, and if you keep believing yourself and, you know, like my dad used to say, if you, if you keep the faith, um, usually you, you will come through and you you don't know what's going to happen, but I think there's a good chance it can be even better than what you expected. Yeah. What you just said in the last, two sentences there's a life lesson that that can be pretty clearly summarized there i'll let you take a crack at that trap pay attention to the the stories that you tell yourself and uh, that's one of the things i talk about in in my book it you know the we all have thoughts going through our mind and, and voices in our head and um you know you it, and it's not easy you know this is something i i battle with every day but 
um, the, these stories in your head, you can choose if you're going to believe them or not. You know, it's it's your choice. And and if you want to change the story, if you want to change the the thought or the habit or belief, um, you can. And it, it, it may not be overnight, but uh, you, you can do it. You know, there's concrete steps you can take and you can in, engage in uh, kind of like what we, what we said at the start in mental training. Right. So so doing little things, practicing, doing hard things uh, that, that's going to help you build that mindset. I, th- I think that uh, you start talking about mindset and, you know, some people will say, well, you're, you either have it or you don't. And, uh, and I think that's, I think that's really a limiting belief to, to tell someone or tell yourself, boy, I, I have this or I don't have it. And, you know, I don't think that's true. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the growth mindset. Probably a lot of people have heard that term and, and a growth mindset just means you believe that you can, can get better at something, you know, all right. So you, so you take a student at school. Um, I, I spent many years as a, as a high school teacher. So, so education and kids are really important to me. And, you know, a student with a, what we call a fixed mindset, they, they, they take a math test or they get their report card and, and they say, oh, I'm not good at math, right? That, that's me. I just, I don't have it, right? But that's, that's not true. That's just a story. You can change that to a growth mindset and say, well, all right, you know, this was my score on this math test on this day, but if I want to get better and I want to get smarter, I can. And that, that, that little belief there that, that you believe you can grow um, that makes a huge difference, and that's true in your math score. It's true in how fast you run a mile, or what your diet is, or how much you weigh, or 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 in your mindset. You know, if you want to have a, a stronger and more resilient mindset, that's something you can work on, and and I think you should. Hi everyone, this is your host Drew DeVries. Hey, if you've been with us for a while, I just want to say thanks for tuning in again. If it's your first time listening, then I'd like to extend a warm welcome to the Adventure Deficit Community. We're happy to have you with us, and it's our goal for you to glean a little bit of entertainment, education, and inspiration from today's story. Hey, after today's episode, please visit our website, www.adventuredeficit.com, where you'll find several ways to get involved. Today's episode will be featured on the main slider. Scroll down from there and click any previous episodes for access and show notes. In there, you can also subscribe to our direct links through iTunes, Google Play, and RSS feed. We're passionate about Adventure Deficit, and we're committed to delivering even more adventure stories and life lessons in 2018. We're also expanding our reach with product reviews, videos, and live events as well, but we can't do this without your financial support. You can help us out by subscribing, sharing, or even buying a t-shirt, which are available on the website for $20. If you're one of our listeners who might be interested in advertising with us, please go ahead and get in touch under the Connect tab. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Travis, let's move, uh, let's move right into um, just some hot, fast uh, lightning round type questions. Um, yep. Some okay. of these are, some of these are kind of gear related. Some of these might take a second, yep. you know, we can mull over them together, but uh, it's always fun for our listeners to, to know what you're, uh, what you're taking with you out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's start with, uh, with your, your sponsors. Tell us a little bit about uh, your footwear of choice, Vask. Yeah, I, I really like um, Vasque footwear, not only for ultra running, you know, which is kind of my main involvement, um, but also for, you know, the, the other things I do. I've, I've been doing a lot of uh, hunting and, and uh, backpacking recently and getting into those things, especially with my kids. Um, so, you know, I, I like Vasques because they actually uh, hold up and, and last, um, unlike a lot of shoes that, that I've used uh, over the years. Does Vasque still make that classic mountain uh, mountain boot called the Sundowner? 
typically they'll have at least uh, one kind of retro, um, you know, shoe or boot. Yeah. And uh, pr- pretty much everyone I talk to, you know, you say Vasque, and they're like, oh, yeah, my, my first hiking boots were Vasque, and, uh, and I still have them. I, I just kind of remember a lot of that. probably a lot of the guys in your dad's circle had a Vasque boot that was very, very, um, it was just kind of iconic. I think it was uh, kind of a two-tone leather, and uh, it had that black lug sole, that black lug Vibram yep. sole, and the yep. thing is just bomb-proof. I, don't, I wonder if yeah. they still make that. I'll check it out online. Uh, who are your other title sponsors currently? Um, ultimate Direction's great. They're kind of a niche brand in the, in the ultra running, ski mountaineering, uh, space. You know, they make backpacks and some jackets and just su- super thoughtful, well-designed, uh, stuff I really like. Um, I like Injinji toe socks. Uh, they're, they're the ones, you know, it kind of looks like a glove, uh, for your, for your toes. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like them, you know, again, especially for ultra running, it's just a lot less rubbing together um on your feet uh native eyewear i'm wearing their sunglasses and, and goggles uh nice every Rub single them. day here yeah out in the and it's that's another thing in, in native their customer service is so great like i don't know how they sell any new sunglasses because you know if someone breaks them or whatever they always replace them and everyone i talk to has had the same pair forever but uh, apparently they they keep finding new people so so that's helpful um and then you know there's a, there's a few others here and there i got a um, a new uh scott bike this year um you know kind of a uh, full suspension uh 29er called the spark rc and uh you know but bikes i'm always into bikes they're just they're, they're so cool the technology is always changing and i mean they're they're light and they're fast and uh, i'm actually thinking this summer um uh mountain biking is going to be my uh my primary focus uh this summer and so that's kind of always exciting with a with a newer bike on hand cool where are you going to go um well all over the place i mean i'm going to do a couple of the uh leadville race series events so i'm going to do the the leadville 50 mile mountain bike in july and, and then the leadville 100 um mountain bike in august uh really cool event you know it's kind of become one of, one of the sort of iconic and, and better known races in you know in long distance uh, mountain biking and, and and that one's a lot of fun for me because a lot of my uh coaching clients do these uh leadville events whether it's the the 100 run, the 100 bike. Uh, there's an event called Leadman where you do uh, five different races in the series uh, throughout the summer and add up your time. Um, so I'm really excited for Leadville just because I get to be out there with, with my clients. I get to be out there with uh, with my family. Um, I think we've now had seven family members um, that have finished, uh, in, including my cousin, uh, Ethan Pence, who he finished it last year for the first time when he was 19. Uh, so that was that was pretty cool. And, and his dad finished it, uh, about 15 minutes later, um, for his 23rd time, uh, wow. which I think is, is, is pretty darn cool. You know, I've got to give his, his name's Eric Pence, my uh, uncle E as we call him. And if, I've got to give even, even a bigger shout out to uncle E because, um, just last month. So in, in December, you know, a few months after the Leadville 100, uh, he donated a kidney, um, to my mom who, uh, who needed a kidney transplant. And, uh, you know, he, he gave the kidney and, uh, he's, he's doing well. My mom's doing well. And it's, um, you know, it's pretty incredible. I think, you know, you, you talk about stuff like mental toughness or, or grit or the kind of challenges that, that you have to face in life, uh, that aren't by choice. And, you know, Drew, we all know someone, maybe it's you, maybe it's someone in your family, you know, maybe it's friends. I mean, we, we all, you know, either face these challenges or no, no people who do. And, you know, for my mom, it's been a lot of this health stuff. She had a, she had a liver transplant in 1990. Uh, she got a, 
a kidney. She needed a kidney transplant in 2003, so she got one from uh, her brother Brian, uh, who's also a Leadville finisher. And then um, that one petered out, and she needed a new one last year, and got it from her other brother. And um, you know, that's uh, if, if you ask me about you know be, being tough for you know having a good attitude through through challenging stuff. You know, pe- people like my mom are you know they're the people who set the example. They're the heroes. Yeah, I hear you, man. That's awesome. That's so cool. So uh, Travis actually won Lead Man, um, and that needs to get touched on because it's an, it's an incredible feat. Um, so the Leadville series um, basically throughout the year includes – Trav, you, you go through the list. Uh, so the first thing's a marathon, you know, trail, um, really cool trail running marathon in, in June. Um, you know, and it's, it's tough. I mean, you start at 10,200 feet, you go up above 13,000 feet and, and you have, you know, elite runners are winning this thing in like three and a half hours, which kind of puts it in perspective. Um, so it's a, you know, a challenging marathon, uh, a couple weeks after that, um, they have what's called silver rush weekend. And, uh, so these are 50 mile races. You can either do a a 50 mile bike or a 50 mile run. Uh, and then a few weeks after that, uh, is kind of the grand finale. So one, one weekend you do, uh, the hundred mile mountain bike race on Saturday, and then you do a 10 K run on Sunday. Uh, and then six days after that. So the following Saturday, uh, you, you start the hundred mile, uh, trail run and, you know, hopefully finish that the, the late that night or, or maybe the next morning. Dude, that doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah, well, you know, Drew, like I said, it's it's all a question of perspective. <laughs> but you do, you know, I mean, really, you do something like that, and some parts will legitimately be fun. I mean, you'll have these these moments where you're riding high, or you're feeling good, or you're taking in the view, or you're, you know, you're out there with your friend or your family, and it, it'll it'll honestly be fun. There's just there's so much more room for the good the good spice of life to introduce itself into your into your event if you're crossing those insane distances yeah let's uh let's go right back into some of these these quick questions um books that you've been reading um do you have any that you would recommend outside of uh the book that we're gonna we're gonna circle back to at the end um the ultra mindset yeah i mean i i love reading like i said i was a a high school english teacher and so you know i mean for that i you know i enjoyed some of the classics and uh, you know that kind of stuff um I've, i've been reading a novel uh, right now called Ready Player One. Um, I think it's coming out as a movie soon. Uh, that's been kind of interesting. I'm, I'm really, I, I have a personal interest in, in uh, I don't know, kind of what what does technology do to us? And like, what, what are, you know, what's going to happen as people move away from nature and have less time just being outside and listening to animals and slowing down and, you know, breathing fresh air. And so, you know, that this Ready Player One, it's, it's basically a futuristic uh you know, dystopia kind of in, in the, uh, you know, the threat of brave new world and, and things like that. So, uh, that's kind of good on, on the fiction side. Um, you know, on the, on the, most of my reading is, is nonfiction. I mentioned, uh, previously the concept of the growth mindset. Uh, there's a great book called mindset, uh, by Dweck, uh, probably that, you know, it's been a really high selling book. Probably a lot of people have, have heard of that. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, parenting and raising kids and, and education. Um, there's one called, uh, homegrown by, uh, gosh, what's the guy's name? seems like I should know, know the author. Look up homegrown. It's a, you know, interesting concept of, of kind of the, uh, the idea of unschooling, which is, you know, a school of thought where kids are allowed to just go outside and, and play and that kind of stuff. Uh, there's another one called uh, How to Raise a Wild Child, 
Um, similar sort of uh, concept. This is by uh, Dr. Scott, the paleontologist. Um, he's the guy who's on Dinosaur Train. Uh, any, anyone who has young kids um, may recall that show. Uh, so those are a few of them. How many hours are you putting in uh, training for a typical endurance event? My training typically is, is something in the range of, of 10 to 15 hours a week. Um, and, and then, it, you know, it just depends on what I'm training for, you know, how is that broken down? So right now, you know, we're in winter, I'm, I'm in ski mountaineering season. So, you know, probably twice a week, I'm, I'm driving up further up in the mountains and, and doing some ski mountaineering, you know, that would be probably a two to four hour session. Um, and then with the mountain bike season coming up, uh, most of the other time is, is on the bike. Um, and in the winter, a lot of that's, you know, inside, um, on the trainer here, and um, unless it's sunny and the trails or roads are clear family life is important to you as well. How does that balance out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's, um, my wife, Amy and I, I feel like we've both been very intentional and, and I'm really thankful, you know, we're on the same page about the, the value of family and we've both been able to set up our careers so that, that we're self-employed and, and we work, uh, primarily from home with, with schedules that are largely flexible, um, which in many ways is great. And, and it means a lot of family time with the kids. I mean, I'm, you know, every, every morning I'm, around, you know, doing breakfast. I usually take them to school and I usually pick them up from school and, and hang out for, for a while then as well. And, you know, so we can stuff too. And it, and it is, um, it's also a balancing act, you know, I think any, you can probably relate to this, any, any parent who works from home, I mean, there's blessings, but, but there's the challenge too, because you really have to try to be as intentional as you can of, you know, when is family time? When is work time? How do you separate those things? How do you have, uh, an off switch? you know, when, when it really is, um, family time. I mean, these are, these are things that are all challenges and, and, uh, you know, any, any system's not perfect. I, I think that we as humans are wired to, to, you know, have this grass is greener sort of mentality of like, you know, let's say you go to an office to work. Oh man, it'd be so much better if I could stay home or, or, you know, me sometimes, man, would, would it be a lot simpler? You know, what if, what if I had a more traditional job and I just went to work and, uh, you know, um, didn't do this other stuff. Maybe that'd be easier. You know, there's, there's always these mental, um, battles and, and oftentimes, you know, I think rather than seeking out greener grass, it can be, you know, let's, let's just try to be happy with what we have and, and kind of make the most of it. You got any, uh, adventure races on the horizon? Um, you know, no adventure races at the moment. Um, you know, I've kind of the last few years in, enjoyed focusing on, uh, you know, the, the, the solo stuff. Um, and also, you know, my, my, I'm really thankful my coaching business has, has grown nicely and that's, you know, become much more of a, of a year round kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I mean, honestly, some of it is, is, uh, you know, kids getting older and, and all the stuff they can do, you know, it's, uh, you know, these go, going to Abu Dhabi for, for 10 days is, is an awesome thing to do. And when, when you have two little kids, it's, you know, it's, it's hard on the family. So, you know, I'm doing less of those kind of trips and more of, you know, if I can go to the Leadville 100 and do the hundred mile bike race, like we all go, it's a family camping trip and you know, every, everyone has fun. And hopefully, you know, I'm hoping that I'm providing my kids with those kind of memories and experiences. And I, you know, I don't care if they become ultra runners or anything like that, but, I, but I know that when they see people out there making it through those, those hard things, when they see adults who have made themselves vulnerable and pushed through something hard, that's something they're going to remember, you know, and that's something hopefully even subconsciously is going to, you know, seep in when they need that grit for, for school and for all the challenges of, of growing up. And so I, I think it's important to be at that kind of stuff. 
Travis has got a couple of things that I'm going to share with uh, with the adventure deficit community, um, just as far as resources. One, his book, it's called The Ultra Mindset. Trav, tell our listeners where you can pick that up. Probably Amazon's easiest. You, you can get um, get it in print there or on Kindle uh, or audiobook. I, I, I love I love audiobooks. Probably people who listen to podcasts might be inclined to audiobooks. So. I'll actually put a link to The Ultra Mindset in the show notes, so you can buy it directly off the website as well. Um, but any of the uh, any of the aforementioned uh, sources that Travis just mentioned uh, will work as well. Um, Travis, tell us a little bit about your coaching business and uh, what do you what do you got as far as clientele requirements there? Yeah, you know most so most of my coaching is uh, adult endurance athletes. So it's uh, you know people um, you know who typically have a job often have a family and other stuff going on, uh, but they, they want to go out and, and do something cool and hard and push themselves. So maybe, maybe it's your first ultra run. Maybe you've been ultra running for 10 years and, and you want to do a little bit better. Um, you know, a few of my clients are trying to win races or, you know, they're, they're up and coming young men or women who are, you know, really getting in and have a lot of potential and, you know, want to be on the podiums and stuff. We really do the, the vast majority of, of my clients are, you know, people who just, they, they just want to get better, you know, and maybe getting better means, uh, beating the cutoffs so that, that you can finish Leadville under 30 hours, or maybe, maybe it means an age group finish or, you know, losing some weight or, or whatever. Um, so it's, it's a wide range, you know, but like I said, they're, they're adult endurance athletes. Uh, you know, I've, I've one partner in my coaching business, uh, Brandy Erholt. She's one of the, um, top, uh, female mountain runners, uh, in the world. And so, uh, Brandy coaches only runners, uh, whether it's road runners, uh, mountain runners, ultra runners. Uh, and I coach, um, runners and also mountain bikers and multi-sport athletes and people doing ski mountaineering and, and adventure racers. You know, I've coached, uh, some of the top American, um, adventure racers the last couple of years. And, and that's been, uh, that's been fun too. That's awesome. And what's, uh, what's the website that you'd like to direct folks to? Um, travismacy.com is probably the best one. So my, you know, coaching's on there for that kind of coaching. I, I talked about, um, the, the business consulting, you know, through keynotes and that kind of stuff is, is on there. Um, and then my course is also on there. I've got a, a distance learning course, uh, that follows the, uh, curriculum or the principles that I set out in my book and, and allows people to, uh, spend just, just about 20 minutes a day. So this is kind of like that, that mental training, you know, you, you want to develop mindset, commit some time, commit some money, commit some energy to it and, you know, go through something 20 minutes a day for, for eight weeks. And, um, I think it'll make a difference. We've, we've gotten a lot of real good feedback on it. Travis, who, uh, who comes to mind when I say who needs to be on the next Adventure Deficit podcast. Wait, there's a lot of... Have you talked to uh, Andrew Skirka yet? No. Yeah, he'd, he'd be good. So Andrew Skirka is an um, old friend of mine who lives in Boulder. If you Google his name, a ton of stuff will come up. But um, he's done a whole bunch of... Uh, in addition to ultra running and, and that kind of stuff, um, he's probably most famous for some of these real long uh, through hikes that he's done. You know, the, the coast-to-coast in the oh, U.S. Okay. He did this, like incredibly huge alaska loop um fast packing basically um so he's super cool and the the other guy actually uh ricky would be awesome ricky gates uh g-a-t-e-s um ricky is is uh an an incredible individual someone i've been friends with we're actually in college together um and just an an amazing human being an incredible personality uh one-of-a-kind guy and he's, he's done a ton of stuff over the years. You know, he's ridden his uh, motorcycle 
from Colorado to the you know tip of of uh, Patagonia um, and Argentina, you know, incredible trips like that. And, and what he did last summer is um, he ran across the U.S. Um, on a trail only route um, and uh, uh, kind of documented it and, um, and and did it totally self sufficient on, on a limited budget. Um, just amazing. That's so awesome. In closing, I just want to say uh, thank you, Travis. It was a pleasure having you on. We really look forward to uh, to watching you in life uh, succeeding or excelling or getting better at whatever it is that you put your mind to. And uh, Adventure Deficit Community, I would encourage you to uh, check out Travis's book. It's full of, uh, full of good stuff. So, Trav, uh, we wish you the best. Thanks again for your time. And, uh, yeah, keep, uh, keep at it, man. Drew, thanks a lot. Right, right back at you. You know, at the, at the listeners, guys, if, if you're out there and you're thinking like, man, I've had this goal or, you know, I think I want to go for, for this or that, or I'm not sure if I can do it. You know, you, you can, I mean, you, you, you would be surprised at what you can do if, if, uh, you know, if, if you decide and you wholeheartedly, uh, commit to it. Um, so go for it. And, and Drew, uh, thanks a ton. One of the best conversations I've had in a long time.